Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey folks, welcome back to Season 5 of the Across the Pond Hockey Podcast. I'm so excited today to uh, to have a really special Canadian guest on the show. But before we get to that, I do want to give a couple shout outs. The first one is uh, Mr. Paul McLean, the pride of Glace Bay. The man who does all the work behind the scenes for me. I want to thank you for four amazing years so far and uh, looking forward to working with you again this year. And Mrs. Letitia Bishop, who is my YouTube video editor. Thank you so much, Letitia, for all your hard work and looking forward to another great season. Um, so that being said, here we are in season five. Fans, welcome back to the show. And my very special guest today uh, was born in Montreal and grew up in Nova Scotia. She was an aspiring opera singer who ended up becoming a multi-talented Canadian entertainer. Uh, from fronting Canadian rock band Joy Drop to co-hosting Rogers Hometown Hockey with the legendary Ron McLean. And she currently finds herself working with the San Jose Sharks as a content creator, a podcaster, on-air on uh, on specialist, analyst. Please welcome to the podcast, Mrs. Tara Sloan. Tara, sorry, hey. I got I got to get it right. Tara, oh, sorry. that's it. You know what? I grew I grew up in Nova Scotia. Most Nova Scotians say Tara, so I don't I don't uh, take offense or umbrage. It whatever. Tara, Tara, Tara. I'll do my best to get it right before the end of this episode. So, Tara, <laughs> okay. you you were born in Montreal. Uh, were your parents French? Either of them? No, not francophone. No, my mom. Oh. Um, her parents came over my grandfather was in banking and he came over from uh great britain he was scottish and then my granny yeah. was english uh, my dad is a, a montreal jew so he his parents were her parents were actually born in montreal so both anglophones um yeah. and but that really is the root of my hockey fandom because my dad specifically grew up watching the Habs. so yeah that's uh, where that came from that's awesome. I'm a Habs fan as well. Hockey fan number one, but Habs fan number two. Um, so how old were you when you moved to Nova Scotia? Uh, I was six. Okay. I was, yeah, I was six and did, years old. Was it Halifax? No, we actually, I first moved to Wolfville. Okay. Um, my stepfather worked at Acadia University, so we were in mm -hmm. Wolfville. And then I did junior high and high school in Halifax, so... Went to Gorsebrook for those out there who might know Gorsebrook mm -hmm. and then um, QEH, rest in peace. 
<laughs> yes, it's gone now. That's right. It's the gone, Gorsbrook. Yeah. I did my first ever open mic at the Gorsbrook, to be honest. So I did my undergrad yeah. at SMU. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. uh, it's it was uh, quite a little spot. And, and SMU is a great, great university as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Halifax and I go as much as I can. And I, I dream of moving back one day. Yeah. So Tara, let's get right to it. I mean, you, uh, you have so many talents, you're so versatile and it was really shocking when I first heard that you started out as an aspiring opera singer. Did, did that come from someone in your family or where did, where did that start? Not classical music specifically. My dad grew up playing in bands and he still has yeah. a studio in his house and a okay. great guitar collection and he still mm -hmm. sings and plays. Um, but classical music was something that I just, I think, you know, I, I think my mom played it around the house, but I just loved it. And I think for me, it was really when I first joined a choir somewhere in elementary school, um, that it, the whole thing really resonated with me, you know, and I had a natural gift, I guess, in that particular part of my voice, mm -hmm. you know, for the longest time, I didn't think I could sing rock music. I only knew I had this head voice. Um, right. but yeah, I love, I loved classical music. I loved harmonies. I even joined a church choir and I'm yeah. not Christian <laughs> um, just, just so I could sing, just so yeah. I could sing with a choir. So I, I, yeah, I just loved it. Ultimately, you know, I, I did start at Dalhousie university and realized at that point, I just did not have the uh, discipline, you know, it, it's, it's a really, it, you really have to be committed to go into any form of yeah. classical music. Yeah, but I mean, it, it it at least get got your uh, you got your feet wet, like being in front of people and you know proving mm -hmm. that you had a voice and and being confident because you show so much confidence when you're on the air. And I wonder if that's where it comes from because you started at such a, an early age. Maybe I think it's reps. You know, I just I yeah. do think the more you do something, and for sure, having started when I was young, doing those Kiwanis festivals and singing mm -hmm. yeah. in, in choirs and doing solos. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny that I exude that because I, I still battle nerves, you know, to this yeah. day. Um, there's no broadcast I do where I don't have have butterflies. Well, I'm happy to hear that because <laughs> I feel the same way. And I mean, sometimes, you know, as a singer or as a teacher doing presentations or whatever it is, mm -hmm. there's always something. Do you have a go to method to deal with those nerves? I mean, you know, I've learned certain things I have to do in advance. Um, I actually had a panic attack on live TV when I first started doing live television. And yeah. I was working uh, at a really small station in Toronto and probably nobody was watching, but I just, you know, I hadn't had enough sleep. I'd had too much coffee. I was frankly hungover. Um, yeah. So I kind of learned what my nervous system could and couldn't take. So there are mm. certain disciplines that I like to have, like being well-rested, not yeah. having too much caffeine. Um, things like that are important, but then in the moment, yeah, I mean, I make sure that I sort of, I take a little bit of time. If I don't have time to like sit down and do a meditation, I'll at least yeah. try to do some deep breathing. Yeah. Um, and a psychologist gave me great advice, um, and he works with hockey players, um, and it was sing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes I'll just like, you know, sing a few bars of a tune and, and that actually kind of just shifts your brain. Wow. Where does that spiritual part of your life come from and, and the meditation? So my parents were hippies and okay. 
when they were in their early 20s, they started following a Tibetan Lama who had come to the West, who had escaped Tibet, moved to India, and then subsequently Mm. moved to North America. So I grew up in a Buddhist household. Mm. So all four of my parents, they they remarried, um, were pretty, you know, uh, committed Buddhist practitioners. So that was just part of my life growing up. And, and in my early twenties, I myself kind of gravitated towards it as a, as a real path. Wow. It's something that I'm trying to introduce into my own life as well. So maybe I'll have to get back to you on that for some more tips. Um, (laughs) But we'll leave that for another episode. Um, So Tara, um, growing up in, in, uh, in the Halifax area, you went to Dalhousie. What age or what point at Dalhousie did you start thinking, what, what's my future hold? Where am I going with this? You know, I honestly don't think that I had that thought. I think it was, I was like, okay, all my friends are having fun and I want to do that too. And everything just, it was actually a real pivotal moment in my life where things just kind of collapsed on themselves. And, um, you know, I I didn't, I stopped going to class. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I blew it. I totally blew it. And, um, you know, it's something you could regret, but in retrospect, it was a real learning moment or, or period of time for me. Yeah. So I ultimately took some time out of university. I moved to Montreal, um, got a job at Sam the Record Man in Montreal, where I'd, I'd worked there in, in Halifax all through high school. Okay. So yeah, that was my in at Sam's. And then I really had to reassess like, okay, what am I going to do? I have to take my life here seriously because- yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens. And look where you're at now. So it doesn't even matter. So, uh, yeah. Sam, the record man, I do want to ask you about Sam, the record man, because record stores are, you know, few and far between now. In fact, mm. I just not a shameless plug here, but my band, the young bucks, we sold our first album in a record store like a month Yay. ago in Halifax. Awesome. All uh, right. Which Taz, record store? It's called Taz records. I know Taz, of course. Do you? Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if that's the only one left in the city now. Uh, but those those days have come and gone um, of hanging out in record stores and, you know, talking to the people who work there, finding new music. Everything's so different now. Like, where do you find music now? Uh, work? How can you compare the past? Like, when you work back at Sam the Record Man and your introduction to music to where it's at now? I feel so lucky that I yeah. found that job. And also I found it at a time where, you know, I was in high school and it's really easy to get sucked into just high school life and high school Mm -hmm. drama. And for me having Sam, the record man and the people who worked there and the exposure to music outside of, you know, my peer group, um, it was huge. It just, it changed everything for me. So I, I could not be more grateful for, for that experience. It really, I mean, it, it completely informed my musical tastes. Right. Uh, how I how I find music now. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not the same, and it certainly doesn't feel as magical as like, yeah, putting on a listening copy and discovering something for the first time. But right. I do make a point of, you know, I'm, I subscribe to satellite radio, and I, I mm-hmm. make a point of listening to to new stuff. And honestly, my daughter, who's 14, she'll take over the the car stereo and. She plays stuff I've never heard too. So that's yeah. great. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, um, so I heard the story about how you got the audition for Joy Drop. And I'd like for you to share that because <laughs> it's pretty cool. Something that we don't see anymore. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Joy Drop was a Canadian rock band uh, that Tara was the uh, the front woman for. Um, tell us that story. <laughs> well, everything I'm telling is like these things don't exist anymore. There's I know, no more that's okay. There's we'll no get more to record the stores. <laughs> yeah, and there's and this was I found an ad in the back of uh, a weekly magazine called Now Magazine. Yeah, uh, and it said looking for a rock goddess, and I had been I had moved to Toronto after theater school. I was acting for the most part, but really missed music. Yeah, and so was looking just for people to to play music with. Nothing serious I don't I don't think I had any aspirations in music in fact I don't think I understood that you could kind of do the whole thing like it just didn't occur to me um so I went down to a place called Cherry Beach Studios the band they were already together and so they were looking for you know the final piece of the puzzle so met my who became my bandmates Tony Mm -hmm. Tom and Thomas so Tara came and yeah, um, poor, poor tease. Yeah, and it just it clicked really quickly, and that was God. Oh my God, that was like late 1996. Um, and then by August 1997, we had done a demo and we'd gotten a record deal, and we're getting ready to to do our first album. So it happened pretty quickly, and um, yeah. you know, another another blessing in my life. I'm sure. But I mean, how did that uh, process go for you as someone? Did you have any experience on a stage uh, besides like act doing theater or like singing solos at church? Or was there, is this your first time in a, in a club playing in front of drunk people? Like, <laughs> no, I had a band in Montreal when I worked at Sam's in Montreal. Okay. Um, right. That was my first rock band and we were called Laverne. And I actually okay. think we were pretty good. I have, yeah. I have some recordings still and, mm-hmm. you know, I think it stands the test of time. But, you know, I, I didn't, there's no part of me that thought you could really do it and get paid. Like we got, yeah. we made it, maybe made beer money, but yeah. um, no, I mean, this was a different league. The aspirations were entirely different. Um, the standards were entirely different and I had, I really did have to, in some ways, you know, my vocal training was not in some ways, in most ways, my vocal training was key. It got me through touring. Um, but you know, I had to train some things out of me. I had a pretty intense vibrato that I had to, I had to sort of massage down. (laughs) Yeah. And what instruments, what instruments were you playing at the time or can you play? Uh, I can't fully play anything. I mean, I, when I write, I write on guitar. So I, right. I tool yeah. around on guitar. Um, yeah. You know, I can I can read music so I can figure out, you know, a keyboard. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't accompany myself with any degree of proficiency. When you joined Joy Drop, were you guys, were you writing together as a group? Or what, or what was your writing process? We weren't. And that, I really, I regret that. And I think we all do. Um, yeah. I mean, it is maybe one thing that kind of made it interesting. And there are lots of bands that do this. We all mm-hmm. wrote ourselves. Yeah. And so the album was a little bit more of a mosaic mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a collaboration. I did, there's one song on our first album that I wrote with the guitar player, Thomas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're actually, funny enough, Tony, our drummer, was just visiting me a few months ago in California and we wrote a song together and we've only done that oh, a wow. few times. So yeah, 
it's I, I think it was a bit of a miss, but that was just the our that's how we were formed. So yeah, I'm just always curious about the writing process because I'm in a band where three of us are writing songs and it's just kind of the same thing. We're kind of all doing it separately. It's really difficult to sit down with somebody and you know connect your mind to theirs and kind of make a song. It's not as easy as people might think. No, really it's not. No. And then you do you start with lyrics or do you start with a melody? What what what's your preference? Um, I've done both. I mean, yeah. and sometimes they sort of come together, you know, come at the same time. Um, I, I, at the time, I mean, I certainly kept notes and poems and lyric ideas. I still do, but not nearly as, as much or as often. So, you know, if I have kind of a melody or chords, I, I will draw on something that exists, but it's just however, however the feeling hits really at the time cool um so uh also you're uh when when that all started coming to an end and or actually before we get to that you first see you know your your first number one hit you're on much more music and you're on tv in canada was there a time where you thought like this is it i'm we're gonna do this we're gonna be playing stadiums pretty soon like what what was your thought process i don't think so and I wish we had appreciated it more at the time. Mm. Like, I think that we were always striving for more. And so it didn't let us enjoy things so much in the moment. Probably, I would say when we, when we recorded the video, when we shot the video with Tommy Lee in LA, the whole mm. thing felt so Hollywood yeah. that it was like moments like that, that we were, you know, we were staying at this like really fancy hotel and the shoot was, it was just like, you know, when you're weighted on hand and foot and yeah. you've got this whole crew and moments like that kind of were, you, you're taken aback by them. But in terms of our success, yeah, I, I just don't think we ever stopped to smell the roses or not, not nearly mm. enough. I don't even think right. that we understood like when we were nominated for a Juno, I, I don't even think we like really... I think we got it. <laughs> no, but looking no. back, you, you can get it now. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a big all deal. These things are yeah, yeah, great feathers in, in our cap, and yeah, for sure. Um, just nice to know we had some impact. Yeah, and that amazing video with Tommy Lee—that must have been quite an experience. Just hanging out on a couch with him. <laughs> it was, you know, to to tell the truth, I, you know, Tommy had at that point already like been in jail. Like I, I mm -hmm. was, I had a lot of reservations about it. Yeah. Um, and I tried to, to pull the plug. Um, oh, wow. I was, yeah, I did. Um, I was completely overruled okay. and you know, I, I made the best of it. Like I, I do think that the sort of morally correct thing to do would have been not to have him. Okay. So we, we and the record company, you know, went the side of like what was going to work for us. And, and ultimately, you know, the video really did work for us. And Tommy ended up being a really lovely person, at least to us. I think he's like a, a giant child. Okay. I think he became famous at such a young age mm -hmm. um, that he, he's like a puppy. He just has this like youthful exuberance. He was yeah. really excited about the music he you know he only he didn't do it for the money he did it because he liked the song that's right and cool. so it, it ended up being a really cool experience but yeah awesome. probably a lesser known fact is the, that i tried to <laughs> kill the whole thing 
Wow. But I mean, you are a pretty strong-willed person. And if somebody was going to be, you know, doing things the wrong way and, you know, following a different moral path than maybe that you have, then you would stand up to that, which just kind of makes you special. When we're not talking about hockey on Across the Pond, we're usually listening to music. And after the number of hours our headphones spend on our sweaty ear holes, they usually need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in ATP20. Tell them across the pond sent ya. Before, after that, so Tara, you got into uh, some small time interviewing, uh, your first taste of interviewing people. Uh, what was What was that? Well, my first taste of interviewing people was actually while I was still in Joy Drop. Um, okay. I was doing some things for Michael Landsberg's show, Off the Record. Off the Record, um, yeah. Which was sort of, that was, you know, where I got to exercise a little bit of my sports mm -hmm. um, knowledge. And so I was actually doing stuff for them in locker rooms at the NHL awards. So, I mean, okay. none of this, you know, it exists anymore. So you can't find it on YouTube, but right. yeah. I was in the probably, I guess, early two thousands doing stuff for them, never okay. thinking that that was a career path for me. Same thing. I also did interviews for the show e-talk. Sometimes they would like mm -hmm. have a musician interview another musician. So I got to interview Anthony from the Chili Peppers, which oh was like, does that exist somewhere? Like, and I don't think so. Oh, man, and I interviewed corn awesome. too. Like, yeah, it was, oh, wow. I, it was like mind blowing. Um, but I guess, I guess you're referring to when I transitioned actually into TV yeah. Yeah. to my job in Toronto. Um, yeah. yeah. When, when I decided to move out of music, at least full time, um, I was just lucky enough to, to get a job at a small station called Sun TV. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I learned on the job. I, did entertainment interviews. I hosted the show. I wrote, I, I produced, I did everything. That's a great way to start. I mean, you got to try every little aspect of the industry. That's pretty cool. And then your biggest, I guess the, the big start for you in the, in broadcasting would have been in, in Calgary with breakfast television. Mm -hmm. uh, that show is obviously still, still going strong today. I, I, I often tune in actually, because they do it live on YouTube and I just get to tune in and watch Sid, uh, six arrow just rip the leaves for a little while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's crazy. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, so yeah, they still have BT, um, and, yeah. but it's totally centralized in Toronto. Yes, yeah. Um, Breakfast Television Calgary, unfortunately, in as its own entity, doesn't exist. But that was also just this incredible stroke of whatever luck, yeah. good fortune, whatever you want to call it, um, that they were looking for a house at a time where I was ready to try something bigger and, yeah. and knew that um, I could never get a job like that in Toronto. I just wasn't at that right. point in my career. So took the leap and moved to Calgary for five years. And honestly, if it wasn't for the hours, I would still be doing it today. Yeah, It's so much fun to host a show like that. It just yeah. sucks to wake up at 3 a.m. That was my <laughs> next question. What was it like working those hours? Because everyone always complains about morning radio, morning TV, uh, interview. Ugh. 
It's so hard. I mean, I know some people have, have the stamina, some people have it, but you know, I did everything possible to adjust my life, you know, to make it work. Um, I went to bed no later than eight 30. I didn't like, I never drank during the week. I exercised every day. I found certain things like I didn't, I couldn't eat carbs in the night because they would make me more tired in the morning. Like Mm -hmm. I did everything I could, but it just didn't get easier. It got harder. So, so moving out of breakfast television and into hometown hockey came at the right time because I was perpetually exhausted. And how long did it take you to get used to doing live TV? Because that's a whole other thing. I mean, you got to be pretty quick on your feet. It was doing breakfast television that really helped. Um, yeah. Like, well, like I said, I had <laughs> I had a panic attack on live TV. So clearly <laughs> yeah. I was I was battling mega yeah. nerves. Yeah. I think I got comfortable after probably into my second year. Um, it was a, It was a lot to learn. You know, and I, I think like not just being comfortable on live TV, but understanding the ins and outs of like how to reference something on the screen or how to throw to break or how to come out of break. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, and just to, I don't know, take my seat, I guess, as sort of like a a host. You know, I was mm-hmm. there at the, my first year. I was new to the city. I yeah. knew that I was also, um, you know, taking the place of somebody who was beloved you know people get okay. really attached to their morning show hosts oh, so of course yeah i was the new girl and and there was a lot of you know i'm not i'm sure there were like five people who hated me but you know yeah. it felt like there was a lot of critical they were the loud ones yeah yeah and so i think you know into my second year it just felt like my show and um i began to have fun yeah Great. And throughout those years uh, on that show, is there something that you look back at, look back at, or a moment where you kind of, you're like, okay, this is mine now. I got this. Um, Not a moment, but I knew, so we had a really, a wonderful co-host with me for the first six months. Um, His name is Zane Megji and he works in Vancouver now. Okay. And then there was sort of a search for a permanent co-host for, I think it was for kind of like a year almost. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it was, I was spending every morning with somebody new. Yeah. And there was a time where I just became really adept at like guiding it. And that's mm-hmm. when I knew, you know, it was my show to steer. Not saying like my, my, but like, right. I, I, I was in the right place. That's really awesome. And uh, so Tara, after that, um, you know, my Mount Rushmore in Canada it is Gretzky. Gord Downey, <laughs> Lightfoot, and Ron McLean. So um, the fact that you've had the opportunity to work so many years with Ron, um, what sort? Well, how did that start? And then I'll, I have a few more questions about Ron. But how did you get the opportunity, and how did you uh, how did you successfully get that job? So I had been in touch with Scott Moore, the president of Sportsnet. He yeah. had seen me fill in hosting. Uh, an event in Calgary and it was for Canada sports hall of fame. I wasn't supposed to do it, but Hazel may at the last minute, yeah. uh, couldn't do it. And so he came up to me after and he said, you're really good at this. Do you like sports? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I love sports. 
So he and I kept in touch and, you know, we're, we're looking for the right fit. I was already doing some work for Sportsnet in Alberta. I was doing curling and this mm-hmm. and that little junior hockey here. Yeah. Um, so when the press release came out for hometown hockey, I thought this is, a, I want this. Yeah. I really want this. Like this is, you know, it's, a tr- it's traveling and it's, hockey but it's local stories and um you know storytelling really and so i sent a really impassioned plea to scott moore a letter and he said well i think you'd be great but i'm not the one making this decision here's you know this producer and that producer so you know i was introduced to the people running the show and then they introduced ron and me in the weirdest way we were just kind of like set up for coffee and we met each other at Starbucks and mm-hmm. we thought our bosses were coming, but they weren't. So it was just the two of us. Um, didn't talk about hockey at all. Only talked about music. Yeah, of course. It, yeah. 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 Um, and then they, yeah, it took a, a long time for them to, I think, figure out what the format of the show was going to be. But the first season I split duties with Jennifer Bottle and we both mm-hmm. kind of served as uh, reporters. So I was still working at breakfast television, but I, I did yeah probably 15, 15 weekends on hometown. And then the next year they asked me to come on board full time and then moved into the host seat. Unbelievable. And what was your background in hockey? I know you grew, like you said, you grew you were born in Montreal and your, your family was into hockey, but had you played sports or hockey or just a fan? I played sports, but no, never hockey. Uh, yeah. Growing up in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, I don't think I had any. There was the no. I didn't see any girls playing hockey. It just what didn't occur to me at all. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there were, of course, because yep. there always are. But I didn't know them. Um, so I know I just I loved it. And then you know I think it was doing off so many editions of Off the Record. I probably was on Michael's show 25 times. Yeah. And then, you know, getting my feet wet, kind of doing those interviews for the NHL awards and stuff like that. Um, but really BT, you know, we did a lot of, I mean, breakfast television, those shows you cover everything, do everything right. Yeah. From politics to gardening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we did a lot of, a lot of sports stuff, a lot of stuff with the Stampeders, a lot of yeah. stuff with the flames. And I just thought, you know what, I, I know a lot about hockey. It's a world I feel kind of comfortable in. And mm-hmm. so I'd like to see if I can make a go of that. That's so amazing. And when, uh, how many, how many years did it go for six years or five seasons or? It went for eight years. I mean, with some, with some eight seasons with some obvious interruptions. Yeah. Okay. Due to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So um, about that show. So it aired on Sunday nights. How much, how much of a grind was it for you guys? Like how often were you traveling and, and how, how difficult was that? It was pretty tough, you know. Yeah. I mean, I say that obviously, In no understanding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was an enormous privilege to be able to yeah. travel to these communities who were all so welcoming, and um, you know, to do this incredible show. And I, I feel like the things I've been able to, and all of us, you know, have been able to experience are just. I can't even believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I have to say that the travel was pretty relentless. You know, sometimes most of us were based in Toronto. So, you know, we'd have our Ontario shows and then we'd start getting further flung. And, 
you know, a lot of the shows weren't in major centers. So it's mm, like, that's right. And, you know, we had a touring festival, so we had to, we, it's not like we could go to Vancouver and then go to Ontario and then go to Alberta and then go to Halifax. We had a convoy of trucks traveling. So we could only, we had to do what worked for their schedule because we were flying in and out, but they were staying on the road. So, you know, when, when it was time for the West coast swing, we'd be flying to Cranbrook and then home. And then we might do Kelowna and then home. And then we'd go to Salmon Arm and then home. So it's like when you start getting into stretches like that, where it's like eight weekends in a row, you're, you know, a a long flight and a long drive or whatever it is. Um, And some tough drives too, some some really brutal prairie prairie drives in there as well. You've seen some pretty small towns around Canada. What a privilege though, like you said. uh, Was there a common link that you, was there something that kept reoccurring in each little town that kind of like gave you a sense of, you know, this is, it's different everywhere, but this Canadian hockey Mm -hmm. culture is very similar no matter where we go. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, everybody had an enormous amount of pride, you know, and I think that's, that's what made the show work. Mm -hmm. Um, an enormous amount of pride for their hometowns. And, and just that's, that's why, you know, and we, we took it so seriously the way that we were conveying, you know, the, the message of these communities to the rest of the country. Cause we, yeah. we were like the ambassadors and we wanted to do it, do them justice. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the, the love of hockey, the way that hockey can make it a positive impact, you know, that, that mm-hmm. was universal as well. And, and the pride. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw all facets of hockey. So, you know, I know I'm outwardly critical sometimes of, you know, certain aspects of hockey culture, but I also saw, I saw the beauty of it and I know what it can be and, and what Mm -hmm. it can do and how it can can conserve, um, individuals and communities as well. Well, it's such a, a great perspective to have. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be taught the same things when I was growing up. And hockey has good and bad sides, like anything in society or any program or club, or it doesn't matter what you're in. Um, there's always going to be issues. And we we have given Canadian hockey a lot of a lot of grief over the past 10, 15 years. And and you know, deservedly so. There's a lot of things that need to change in the hockey community and in the hockey culture. Um, but again, when you can see both sides of it and understand the game and what it really can bring to you, if you understand it uh, in the right ways, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you. Like it's such a, it's a beautiful game and there's so much you can learn from it, but you can't get caught up in, in some of the things that, uh, you know, make it nasty. Wheel Hub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three-on-three inline hockey league. Wheel Hub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to their website at wheelhubasia.com. Some of the things that we've seen over the years and that you've talked about bullying and hazing and, um, you know, things like 
dealing with parents, dealing with people in the rink that are just, you know, think their kid's going to be the next superstar in the world. What is some, what's a message that you could share with people to kind of sum all of that up? Oh gosh. I mean, yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think it's time to look at hockey or, well, I mean, we have, you know, if you've been following along just, you know, the sort of safe sport <laughs> movements mm-hmm. in Canada, I mean, there is a lot of sport, um, a lot of sports with a lot of problems yeah. um, and, and the culture of a lot of sports um, is are broken. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, um, I mean, there's not one message other than, you know, we just have to look at the way, you know, it, we relate to power structures. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to look at the way we relate to like insularity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but there's, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot to, to work with, but yeah, it seemed, you know, for me, ho- a lot of hockey, hockey's problems just um, relate to just a sort of culture of silence and, yeah. um, you know, not, not so, not so much exposure to the outside world. So yeah, I just think we all, we all just need to have a little bit better awareness. And I think, um, you know, welcoming, if that's like the word I would use is that it can yeah. be a welcoming space and we need to be aware that for some people it doesn't feel that way. Well said. And, and I agree. Um, a lot has changed. A lot has been changing. Um, and a lot has changed in the past decade. Um, and just to get back quickly to hometown hockey, when you were traveling with Ron and all of these problems are coming up within the game, was he someone that you could really relate to and talk to deeply about these things and what kind of a mentor hockey wise was he for you? I mean, you know, I would, it's funny because if you asked him that, he would always say, I wasn't a mentor. We were equals, yeah, but of course. course I was like, yeah. um, I, you know, I think he was to me, you know, for somebody who's been in the business for as long as he has, and, you know, obviously you have to walk some kind of line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he actually has been quite outwardly honest about his thoughts and and feelings about the game. I think he's been quite balanced. Um, so he was just so he was a very good friend and confidant, you know, and when all that stuff went down with the Chicago Blackhawks and I spoke about it on hometown hockey because we had a Blackhawks game, I couldn't just not say anything. Yeah. Um, I had his full trust and support. And I think, you know, rather than, I mean, obviously I would ask him questions and, you know, he would teach me just by being him, Yeah. Uh, you know, lead by example. But also I knew that he trusted me. Right. I, I knew that he, he never felt like I needed help or guidance. I mean, I did, but he just, <laughs> you know, I think that was a, just a really great example of like, okay, I'm going to say some things. Yeah. And, you know, both for him for my producer like nobody asked me for my notes nobody asked me to to vet you know my little spiel Mm -hmm. um and that was I think the biggest lesson for me is that uh it helped me gain confidence in myself because he had confidence in me 
Yeah, that's really awesome. And it's really happy. I'm really happy to hear that because it's just one, just another feather in Ron's cap for me. Like I, <laughs> I look up to him so much and I have since I was a child. Um, I just love his calm demeanor and the way that he's able to articulate things and how much passion he has in everything that he does. Yeah, he, I mean, there's, you know, people would say like, what have you learned from Ron? And I said, well, the really much of what Ron possesses cannot be taught, frankly, mm-hmm. because yeah. there's nobody who can, even if Ron goes on a crazy tangent, he yeah. will still bring his story back and tie it up in a perfect bow. And you're like, yeah. what the hell just happened here? Like, <laughs> how did he move from A to B to Z to X to like, C in the back to A like how did yeah. he do that and then yeah he has he's got a like an elephant's memory he's really it's yeah. I believe it's a photographic memory it's it's uncanny okay. his ability to remember names sense. and, and yeah. timelines and and then he's just he's a masterful broadcaster you know just like he's just perfect perfect yeah. <laughs> no well, yeah, I can't argue title. with you. I can't <laughs> argue with you on that one. Um, just watching the way he's been able to handle handle himself for so many years, and seems like he always says the right things. And speaking of that, how does he does he ever give you guys the heads up on little things that he's going to end his segments in, or his little quirky sayings, or or anything like that? Or is it always kind of just? Yeah. Are you guys just like, oh my god, like where did he no, get that? No, no, he's got he's got that. Yeah, he's got that stored away. Yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't tell us. And again, I mean, we all trust him too. So, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about one thing uh, with the hockey culture, and I know you're a big advocate in the Pride community and uh, the LGBTQ plus community. And there's some things going on in the NHL where you know they're asking teams and to wear Pride jerseys and warm ups and be a part of. Um, you know, welcoming the pride community into the into that space, I guess, into that community. Mm-hmm. And there are people refusing to do it. And it's a pr- pretty contentious thing to talk about because, you know, every you think, you know, everyone should have their individual rights to do things. And but every, everyone should also be working towards the greater good. And And when you're part of a team and an organization, it's your responsibility to do that. And You've been pretty vocal about it, and I wanted to get your take on it now. Uh, how do you, do you? How strongly do you feel about you know players having the the ability to say no? I'm not going to go out and warm up. Do you think that's right? No, I don't think it's right. I mean, first of all, the NHL has pulled the plug on that. I know. I know. Um, so that's there why, right? Yeah. So there, yeah. So there, there won't be pride. It's not that they'll still be pride nights, but it's they will not have pride jerseys on the players and warmups or any like specialty jerseys they've kind of canned all of that which is is sad so that means there's no hockey fights cancer jerseys like it means you know yeah yeah yeah. so um i think that was very short-sighted frankly Mm -hmm. at the league um yeah i mean i i do think listen i think it's sort of top down um i like the way the sound not just because i work for the sharks i mean i like the way the sharks dealt with james reimer not wanting to wear a pride jersey they let him state you know he he stayed his case they didn't pull all the players uh they didn't pull the whole night and all the other players wore jerseys and i think yeah okay i mean yes you can't force i guess you can't force them yeah but you know i do think if you take a stand as an organization and the nhl could do the same thing if they wanted Mm -hmm. so like this is what we stand for we think this is important 
we would really like for you to wear these jerseys. Um, Because, you know, I talked to Brian Burke about it when he was working with Pittsburgh and I'm not sure what would have happened if somebody in the Penguins organization didn't want to wear the Jersey, you know? Mm. And so if, if that leadership was kind of all across the league, I don't know, things might be a bit different. And I think another thing is, you know, there are players who really want to show their support yes, and now do not have that opportunity. But, you know, as far as like what's, there are other ways to do this. I think the pride nights are going to be, you know, doubly important now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's a really scary time in history. There are really bad things happening. There's so much homophobia and transphobia. So I think, you know, the organizations themselves need to really put their money where their mouths are in terms of internal education um, and showing up, you know, in whatever, whichever ways they can. And I'm proud to say that yesterday I was with the San Jose Sharks organization marching in the Silicon Valley Pride Parade. It was great. I saw your pictures. Um, Yeah. And it's really cool that you're still, you're so involved in that because it's so needed. And, and the way I look at it as well is you don't have to agree with with transgenderism or homophobia for or being 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 gay you don't have to agree with that to wear that pride jersey at the start of your hockey game and to me it's like just showing people that they're welcome inside that space inside that community it's not about you could be a stock like you could be the hardcore christian who thinks that it's wrong uh, to be gay but you you should still be able to welcome those people into your community and see their side so Exactly. That's just kind of sad. Yeah, it's really sad. It's just saying all are welcome here. We want you to feel feel safe and feel good. That's yes, exactly. And um, yeah, I I hope it continues. And it seems like the NHL quick band aid solution there to try and just get rid of everything so that they don't have to deal with it. It's kind of lame. So I hope that changes. And I hope people like you keep keep fighting for that. (laughs) I will. I can't. I can't keep my mouth shut. This is how it goes. (laughs) Well, I'm, that's, I'm, we're all happy for that, Tara. And uh, so lastly, uh, you you got in, you started working with the San Jose Sharks. Um, how exciting has that been? You're, you're creating content, you're doing podcasts, you're on the air. What's your favorite part of it? How's whole, the whole experience been so far? I mean, the whole thing is honestly a trip. And now I've been living here for a year. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't think I ever saw myself living permanently in the United States. I had a few different opportunities through the course of my careers um, and didn't make the move. And, but as it turns out, I I fell in love with somebody living here and Mm -hmm. um, was lucky enough to stumble on the, really the only hockey jobs down here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'm doing, I mean, what's fun about it is I'm doing everything. So, you know, when it comes to the broadcast side, I'm doing some rink side, and I'm doing some hosting, which is fun. It's fun to just mix it up. Yeah. And then for the sharks themselves, um, you know, various features and podcasts. And so, you know, I'm really learning about um, this, you know, these fans, right? This is mm-hmm. not, it's a totally different demographic than yeah. most Canadian cities. Um, totally different stories down here. So I, I'm just really enjoying, you know, just kind of finding my way here. Yeah. And being in San Jose, like you said, I mean, 20, 20 years ago, 
there wasn't a whole lot of love for hockey in Southern California, but what is, what is it like there now? What is the buzz around the city and around hockey in general? Well, I mean, to be frank, the the team itself is not in the greatest place. I don't yes. know. If, I, I'm not sure the GM <laughs> Mike Greer would call it a rebuild, but it's a re something. Yeah. Um. So, you know, the, there are going to be a lot of new faces this year. Eric Carlson finally got traded to Pittsburgh. Yeah. So, you know, there it's really, I think this is a team this year that Mike Greer in his second year is now able to start assembling. Yeah. I have no idea. Like this team could be remarkably, you know, refreshing or it could be terrible. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so, you know, it, it's a little tough in a market that has actually been quite spoiled in terms of their team's successes. You know, there was a stretch where they just didn't miss the playoffs. Yeah. So it's it's a good time to also start, you know, looking at ways to to build the game and grow the game. And I think the Sharks do that really well. There's lots of great programs and lots of places to skate. And um, so, but I'll tell you when that, when that building goes, it goes, it's a really, yeah. really fun place to be. That's not, that's awesome. That's exciting to hear too, because the sport's grown so much and, you know, um, just to speak on that for a second, what there's so many people, hockey traditionalists who were angry about the fact that Las Vegas is in the Stanley cup final and winning Stanley cups. I personally think it's amazing for the sport and it shows how much parity there is in the NHL. And there's, you look at like, there's 16 Canadians on that Las Vegas roster. Um, what are your thoughts on that and the growth of hockey and, and where it's headed? I feel the same. I mean, I think, you know, would you, would you want to keep the original sex? Like, what good is yeah. that doing? <laughs> um, yeah. So, no, I think it's fantastic. Hockey hockey in the desert. You know, you want to see those teams be successful. Um, and I wish it would grow more, frankly. You know, I, I yeah. wish, like, I think there are other markets that could sustain um, sustain teams, let alone Quebec, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know why they don't have a team again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think that their their story is so incredible to be an expansion team to Stanley Cup champions in that short period of time, and yeah, um, the game's grown internationally, and and really, you know, they need to they needed that, I think, but yeah, I agree. Mind. And the the sport is, I can I can confirm that the sport is growing really quickly internationally, especially over here in Asia. Um, you know, we've got so many people doing great things here to help build the game. Um, Tara, I could talk hockey with you all day, um, <laughs> but I do, before we get to the end of the show here, I do want to thank Billy McCollin for helping us connect. Uh, Billy's been on the podcast. He was uh, act my first actor on the podcast uh, who played uh, in the movie, The Goalie, the story of Terry Sawchuk. So thank you, Billy, for helping this happen. And Tara, I, I usually end every episode with what I call my overtime questions. It's going to be some rapid fire, 10 rapid fire questions that I ask everybody. And then one final question for you at the end, especially. Sounds good. So, and as just before we get to them, I will say my thank you now. You uh, are an incredible inspiration to so many people. And I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me because it means a lot. Oh, well, thank you for having me. This has been a really enjoyable conversation for me. So thank you. You're welcome. All right, so here's your one-timers, Tara. You ready to go? Yeah. All right, Habs or Leafs? I have to say Habs. <laughs> Lemieux or Gretzky? Oh, Gretzky. Probert or Domi? Ooh, Probert. 
Wa or Broder? Wa. Or or Lidstrom. <laughs> Lidstrom. No explanation. Claude, Claude Lemieux or Brad Marchand? Oh, Brad Marchand. I'm from Nova Scotia. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd get that one. Iserman or Messier? Messier. Bowman or Burns? Burns. Ron or Don? Oh, oh that's hilarious. I gotta go with yeah. Ron. I knew that would be easy for you. <laughs> shootout, shootout or no shootout? Ooh, shootout. Mm, okay. And finally, just for you, Tara. More okay. overtime. More overtime. Longer overtime. Yes, yeah. you can. You could have that. Uh, final question for you. If you could be the front woman of any band from any era, from any time, what band would it be and why? Oh gosh, I have a few different answers for that. Well, you have time. But do I? Okay. Yeah. Um, if I could be the front woman, let me, let's go like okay. Well, let's go with two. I mean, okay. really, I love singing Led Zeppelin more than mm. anything. But I mean, it's ridiculous because Robert Plant is Robert Plant. Yeah. So, um, but I love. There's a great Zeppelin, all female Zeppelin cover band from around mm -hmm. here called Zepparella. Okay. So if they if they ever need a fill in, I would like to do that. Yeah. But I feel like this answer will probably take you by surprise. But okay. if I could sing in a band that had like a similar repertoire to Queens of the Stone Age, I'd be happy. Oh wow! You're you are a rock goddess, aren't you? <laughs> I'm a I'm a rocker. I I like guitars. I like guitars. Awesome. Tara, thanks again uh, for, for all the time you've given me today and coming on the show. I wish you the best of luck, you and Dan. And uh, you got a special birthday coming up. So I want to wish you a very happy birthday. Oh, no, a little I'm early. Yeah, no, don't you. be, don't be. You're crushing <laughs> it. Uh, thanks again. And uh, yeah, have a great season and, and we'll be watching. And this was awesome. So really, thank you. All right. That was Across the Pond. And that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, Wheel Hub Asia, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Yardley Brothers Beer, and of course, Sunset Studio. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Across the Pond HK. Email us, send in your comments and questions to the show at any time at Across the Pond HK at gmail.com.